Grab your Bible let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Two there. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's no need to scream. Calm down. Okay. Holy Spirit jumped all over right there. Amen. All right. All, all scripture is God breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you. Um, Father, first off, uh, thank you so much for this church family. Um, yesterday, just uh, at the Trunk Retreat, just that event, Father, to, to see so much joy, um, everybody having such a blast, and to, Father, see families coming together. That's the vision you gave us of this church. Just one big family, and it has just been awesome again, Father, to sit back and watch you work. I praise you for that. I praise you for your presence. Father, I feel you in this room. Every Sunday, we invite you in here. Father, we invite you in here every day. But, Father, it is always obvious to me when I round that corner and come in here first thing in the morning that you're here, and I praise you for that. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, encouragement. Uh, Father, this week, uh, many people have reached out to me to encourage me that I know that you've, uh, you, you've put myself on their hearts. And Father, I just I want to thank you for those people and for their courage and for their obedience to do so. Father, I ask that you do the same with me. If there's somebody that needs encouragement, that you show them to me, Father, and I will. I'll, I'll lift them up. That's what we're supposed to do. We lean on each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, today you're, you're starting a new series, and um, you've given me some stuff today. Uh, Father, that I've been dealing with for a while, and I've been excited to be able to actually speak on it and, and preach on this today. So, Father, first of all, thank you for that opportunity. But, Father, today I need you to, um, I need you to take over. Don't allow myself to get in the way. Father, in this moment, I need you to anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Father, I need you to take all my selfishness, my pride, lack of confidence, anger, Father, just take all that away and replace it, Father, with your boldness, your love, and, and Father, your wisdom and knowledge today. I, I need that. I ask this in your name. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. All right, guys. A Christian's greatest problem is not Satan. A Christian's greatest problem is not even sin. There's something else that God talks about in the Bible that says is killing Christians. Again, it's, it's not Satan. It's not sin. Let's go look at uh, Hosea 4, 6. Most of y'all will know this verse. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Now, here's what I need you to understand. Can Satan kill? Well, sure. The Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But it's the lack of knowledge that puts you in that situation. 
the less knowledge you have, the less you're going to be able to fight Satan. Correct? You know, y'all know I'm a, I'm a football guy because it's a lot better than baseball, but I'm a football guy. And, you know, you think about your coaches and so forth. Let's say you've got a defensive or offensive coordinator. The better they know the, the team's opponent, the better they know them, the more they can scheme and the more they can get around their attacks. Okay, if you've got an offensive coordinator, the more he figures out how they're blitzing and they're sending those attacks, the better off you're going to be, right? This is our playbook. We need to take this and gain as much knowledge as possible. Amen? That way we know how to fight these attacks that come at us. So yes, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But if you have the knowledge to stay away from him, you don't have to worry about it as much. There were three blondes, and I'm not hating on just blondes because I'm, I'm a blonde, okay? So I'm hating on myself. But there were three blondes. They were out in the woods, and uh, they're, they're, they're traveling along and so forth. And uh, they come across these tracks. And uh, the first blonde looks at him and says, well, those are deer tracks. You know, look at them. Those are, those are deer tracks. And the other one says, girl, you crazy. Those aren't deer tracks. Those are, those are, those are bear tracks. She's like, no, they're too small to be bear tracks. You know, that's, there's no way those are bear tracks. The third one walks up and says, no, y'all listen, because of the depth of them and the width apart and so forth, guys, those are just dog tracks. That's what those are. And the other two were amazed by this one's knowledge. So she came over, all, two, all three of them came together, and they were talking about it, and they were praising this girl. And, and then all three of them got ran over by a train. Lack of knowledge will kill you guys. Again, the more knowledge you have, the more that you can defeat Satan. This week, we're going to start a sermon series that is entitled, What Every Christian Ought to Know. I mean, guys, there are a lot of things that we need to know. Obviously, it would be great if we knew this entire book, right? It would be great if we could memorize this entire book. Amen? Wouldn't that be great? It would be great. Okay. I can't do that. But I'm going to try my best. But the thing is, guys, the, the more, again, the more knowledge we have, the more we stick to that, we're going to get these little things, these things that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. These are things that, again, you would think every Christian ought to know. But I'm going to stop right there. As I go through this series over the next few weeks, if you are one that asks that question, don't feel bad. Because I'm going to tell you right now, at some point in time, I asked every one of these questions that we're going to go over. And not only that, you need to understand by asking the question, it's actually a victory. Because if you don't ask the question, you're not going to gain any knowledge, right? Never be scared, guys, to ask questions that you think are stupid. Because I assure you, your pastor's done a lot of stupid things. And there ain't nothing that's going to make you look any dumber than I was, okay? Anytime y'all have questions, reach out to us. Let us just, just ask. It's going to only build the kingdom more because you're seeking that knowledge and that wisdom. And if I can't give it to you, we've got other men in this church and other elders that we can go to. We can work out those problems and get those answers for you. Never be scared to ask questions, guys. Never. Today we're going to start with what every Christian ought to know, and they ought to know that the Bible is the true word of God. I wanted to start with this in this series, and here's the thing, not one person said anything about the Bible whatsoever, and all those questions that I got, you know, the way I got this was last week I had everybody write something down, they put it in the buckets, I took them up, and that's how I got a lot of this sermon series, but nobody, nobody said anything about 
the Bible. However, I feel the most important thing that every Christian ought to know is to know that the Bible is the true Word of God. Amen? So we're going to go over that today. I want you to, I want to go back to the first scripture that I read this morning, actually from my Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures God breathed. So we should know the Bible. All scripture, it's proof just through scripture, right here, just one verse that all scripture is God breathed. Now, there's different authors of each book, but they were led by the Holy Spirit to write the book. Okay? So everything in this book, again, completely God breathed. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture, all Scripture is, again, God-breathed. I need you all to understand that and grasp that. You know, I'm going to stop right there. There are, I have actually sat down with other pastors before um, that struggle with uh, Paul's writings in the New Testament. Um, they've, They've literally disassociated that. They don't teach it. We don't agree on this. I believe the entire book of this Bible is completely God-driven, God-motivated, and again, God-breathed. Amen. Okay. You cannot pick and choose what you want to believe in the Bible. If you're a Christian and believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have to believe in everything else that is in the Bible. How many of you, though, have doubted the Bible? Listen, one more time. How many of you have doubted the Bible before? Don't don't act like y'all perfect Christians, okay? Now let me ask you another question. How many of y'all have ever had to defend your belief in the Bible before? Amen. It's normal to doubt, guys. It it really is. I mean, it's normal to doubt because the thing is, this book um, is tough, man. A lot of stuff in here that seems unbelievable to us, right? But what you need to remember again is that faith is, you know, the belief of things that are unseen. That's what our whole Christian relationship with God is based on. Based on faith. Today I want to prove to you guys that the Bible is truly the Word of God, and I'm going to give you guys some ammunition that you can use to defend it as well. Okay, I want to, first off, I want to talk about the scientific, because we got all these cool scientists. If y'all are scientists, I love you, okay? But, but some of y'all, it's just hard for y'all to believe things. But anyway, so I want to look at the scientific accuracy of the Bible. First and foremost, we need to understand that science is changing and evolving each and every day. Every day. In fact, there are 3.5 miles of books in the Louvre Library in Paris that because of constant change in science are completely obsolete. Three and a half miles. Three and a half miles. That's, that's from here to my house, basically. The point is, science is changing every day, but I need you to catch this. God's Word doesn't change. It has been the same today, yesterday, and forever. Amen? I think we can all agree that the world is suspended in space, correct? Can we agree on that? It's out there, right? Like we've proven that, right? Okay, some of y'all are looking at me a little weird. That's, that's the truth, okay? However, ancient cultures didn't always believe this. The Egyptians believed the world was supported by pillars, 
The Greeks believed the world was carried by a huge giant named Atlas. And the Greeks believed the world was carried by a huge, or I'm sorry, 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 sorry. The, the Hindus believed that the earth was resting on the backs of two giant elephants. This was a major belief, guys. I mean, every Hindu believed it. Every Greek believed this. Every Egyptian believed this. But I want you to see what the Bible says in Job 26, verse 7. God stretches the northern sky over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. All these guys had to do was grab the book of Job and read I'm going to tell you something. The book of Job is one of the oldest, oldest books in the world. Okay. What about the earth being round? In 1492, the greatest minds of that time told Columbus that he was crazy and that he would sell off the ends of the earth because the world was flat. But over 2,000 years before that, guys, in 750 B.C., look what Isaiah said, chapter 40, verse 22. God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. Okay, here's the cool part. Notice the word circle. Got it in bold. The Greek word, and forgive me if I mispronounce this, but is kahug, is the Greek word for circle, which means globe or sphere. 2,000 years before Columbus sailed, Isaiah was telling you that the world was round. In 150 B.C., the greatest astronomer of that time decided he was going to figure out how many stars were in the sky. After long research, he concluded there were 1,022 stars in the sky. That's a lot of counting for one thing. But that's not the worst part. 250 years later, another astronomer came by and he said, now wait a minute, this guy, he's stupid. You know, this guy, he ain't, he ain't right. Not 1,022. I have found 34 more stars. So it became 1,056 stars. Finally, 1,300 years later, a man named Galileo invented the telescope, and he came to the conclusion that obviously there's too many stars in the sky to count. Okay? But if these men, if they would have just read the scriptures from Jeremiah, they would have already come to this conclusion. Jeremiah 33:22. The stars of the sky cannot be counted. Sand on the seashore cannot be measured. These, these were the smartest minds of their time, guys. We're smarter than they are just because we read the Bible. It's something to be proud of. We've looked at the scientific accuracy now of the Bible. Now I want to look at the historical accuracy of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is one unified book that consists of 66 books combined, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. I need y'all to catch this, though. The Bible was written by at least 40 different authors in three different languages from 13 different countries on three different continents and over a span of at least 1,600 years. It's crazy, right? With, with all of that, I need you to catch this. With all of that, the Bible came together in unity and to this day is still the number one selling book in the world. Now, I want y'all to imagine today 
I want you to take 40 different people over a span of 1,600 years. We're starting today and 1,600 years from now. I want you, uh, I want them to write independently of one another without having read what the other one had written. Can you imagine the mess that would come up in that? Seriously. To me, that's all the proof I need of the Bible, that it is truly God-breathed. You can't make that happen, guys. It's impossible. Another historical fact about the Bible is Jesus fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. Catch this. The odds of fulfilling 10 of these prophecies, just 10, not 351, just 10, one out of a billion people. One out of a billion. So how can people deny Jesus Christ? Plain and simple, guys, they're not doing their homework. What I've given you today is knowledge. Some of you may have already had it, and, and I'm not that smart. I need you to understand this knowledge was given to me, okay? Not something I came up with. This is something I studied. We have to study, guys. You, ca you can't just take the word and listen to the stories and allow somebody else to talk you out of believing it. You've got to have scripture. You've got to have facts. You've got to have these things to back it up. The scripture that I've given you today and then these facts that I've given you today should without a doubt help you guys defend the Bible. But I want to tell you another one. A lot of people say that Jesus rigged these 310 prophecies, that it was all planned out. Everything was planned out. How could Jesus rig his birthplace? Wasn't alive. Look at Micah 5.2. Oh, Bethlehem, you are but a small village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive from everlasting ages past. There's just one small prophecy. How could Jesus rig his crucifixion? Really? Yeah, he, he, he rigged the beating that he took, y'all. Think about it. He rigged the Via Della Rosa, walking down that thing with a cross on his back. Really? He rigged a crown of thorns being shoved on his head. I'll tell you right now, if I'm rigging something, that show ain't what I'm fixing to rig. Psalms 22 alone contains 33 direct prophecies that were fulfilled at Jesus' crucifixion. And, of course, that was written by King David centuries before Jesus. So on the day of his crucifixion, somehow, in some way, with no, no, no way of having any control, y'all keep this in mind, because he's surrounded by the Roman soldiers, he was able to rig 33 prophecies. 33 with no power. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, that'll hold up in court. That'll hold up in court. It will. How can you could take the most unbelieving judge and you throw that in his face, how in the world could he deny that? I'll tell you, just straight up pride. But I promise you in his heart, he's sitting there thinking, man, this is, this is crazy. Maybe this is rigged. This scripture should help you guys. It, 
it is impossible for all of this to compile together, all of this stuff that I gave you through human hands. There's only one conclusion to all these facts, and that is that the Bible is truly the true Word of God. Amen. Moving along, something else that every Christian ought to know is what seasons are. Okay, what is a season? I get this question a lot. People will come up to me and they'll say, Micah, you know, I hear people, you know, they're, they're talking about, well, I'm in this season or I'm in that season. Well, the first thing you understand, we're not talking about, okay, we're not talking about winter, spring, summer, and fall. Okay, we're talking about a season on your Christian walk. There are so many different seasons that you're going to walk in in life. Some are great, where it's full of joy and laughter and peace and love and harmony and, and financial freedom. See, I said all those other ones, y'all didn't really look up. But when I said financial freedom, all of you looked up. Shame on y'all. And then there's a season from 1992, from 1995, that the Dallas Cowboys won three Super Bowls. <laughs> That's a great season. My favorite season. But different seasons in life, guys. All throughout the Bible, God has also set these seasons and times for everything and everyone. He places each one of us in different seasons throughout our Christian walk. But again, we need to understand something, and that is why. Why do we go through these seasons? Some seasons, again, they can be very hard. They can push you to the limit. I watch a lot of people give up in these seasons. I watch them push away from God. They get distant from God. We cannot allow ourselves to do this, y'all. When tough times come our way, can't walk away from them. We can't give up. I want you to look and see what the Bible says about those who stay on the right path, through those hard seasons, we would look at Galatians 6, 9. <clears throat> Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We need to understand why God again puts us through these seasons, though. It's to toughen us up, guys. It's to make us stronger. We talked about Jacob not too long ago in here. And, uh, you know, Jacob, Jacob was a big screw-up for a long time. <clears throat> if y'all remember the story of Jacob, at one point he wrestled with God. I need you to understand, God wasn't punishing Jacob in the wrestling match. He was making him stronger. He was preparing him for the next season in life. About two months ago, some of y'all know this story. Do I got time to tell? Oh, man, I am doing good. Cowboys don't start till noon. About two months ago, <clears throat> I had a dream. And uh, in this dream, uh, some of y'all know I'm deathly scared of heights. Deathly scared of heights, okay? And I'm, I'm on this building. It's 30, 40 stories tall, we'll say. I don't know how tall it is. Well, it doesn't matter. It, dude, if it's 10 feet off the ground, that's tall enough for me. 
And I'm standing on top of this building, and I, I don't even know why, but I have to get, I have to go down the bill. I have to get off the top of the building. I don't know if it was on fire. I don't know if somebody was after me. I have no idea. But I do know that I had to get off. And I'm standing at the ledge, and there's this ladder. It's a metal ladder. It's about that wide. Okay? And this is what I got to climb down, 30 or 40 stories. Okay? So I'm about to have a panic attack, but I finally got enough courage to go over the edge and hang on to this ladder. And as I start to go down, I'm at the ledge right here, and I look up, and there's Caroline, my youngest child. And she's freaking out. And I realize in this dream, not only do I have to get down this ladder, I got to get her down this ladder. Thank God I woke up. The next night, I have another dream. That wasn't scary enough. Next night, I'm stuck under a bed. Okay, there's two things I'm scared of. Okay, heights, I'm very claustrophobic. Okay, you, you get me shoulder to shoulder, I'm not going to handle that very well. So I'm stuck under this bed. I literally cannot move at all. And I'm freaking out. I'm having a panic attack. I'm assuming that that's what it was. And, and thank goodness, again, I woke up. Y'all remember me talking about this? Jacob's son, Joseph. You know, his brother sold him to slavery. He gets put in jail because, uh, you know, some woman said he was messing with him and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, he goes to jail and... He is interpreting dreams. God is telling him what people's dreams are. People would come to him, this is the dream I've got, and he would be able to tell them what that dream meant. It's a great gift from God. Pharaoh finds out. Pharaoh has two dreams about a drought, back to back. Had one one night, had one the next night. He finds out about Joseph, calls Joseph in. Joseph tells him this, guys. I wish I'd have brought the scripture. I apologize. You can go look it up. He tells him, when you have two dreams back to back that are similar, God's trying to tell you something. He's trying to tell you something. So I'm like, well, what the crud are you trying to tell me? So I asked him. I asked him. God, these are two similar dreams. Oh, I just caught this. By the way, I had the knowledge of Joseph saying this. So I went to God. God, I know you're trying to tell me something. Because in your word, this is what Joseph said. So what is it that you're trying to tell me? And this is what he says to him. He says, you're fixing to go through a hard season. It's going to be tough, and it's going to be the most uncomfortable season you've ever been in. But I need you to trust me and I said, thanks a lot, but I will trust you. And then God says this to me because God talks to me like that. He said, that a boy, that's what he says to me. So a couple days later, I had a, a meeting with Will Green in, in my office, and we were discussing some other things. And, you know, Will's, you know, he's weird. He's a prophet. He, you know, figures things out like that. I love you, man. And Will, I just looked at him, I said, man, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, I had these dreams, and I told him the whole story I just told you all. I'm not going to tell you again. I told him the whole story. And I said, what do you think? And before I could even really say, what do you think, he said, he's telling you to trust him through a tough season. That was my confirmation. 
By the way, guys, go seek, go seek others out. Get some confirmation. It's okay to lean on your brothers and sisters. You need to do that from time to time. If you don't know exactly what God's trying to tell you, if you need a little help there, you know, go talk to one of your brothers and sisters, okay? So that was my confirmation. I knew it's going to get tough. Something's fixing to go on. In the last two months, I've lost two mentors that meant the world to me. Basically, family. Uh, Some personal things. I I broke my tooth. The the reason I bring it up is expensive. (laughs) Business has been pretty rough. Some things at the church, some things we've had to deal with there. It's been a very uncomfortable season. And I need y'all to understand something about your pastor. And this is going to sound really cocky, but I promise I'm not trying to be cocky. Uh, I don't lose. I struggle when I lose, man. When I lose, I take it very personal. I've been losing a lot. I tell you all this to tell you two things. Number one, well, three things. Number one, things are better, by the way. Thank y'all for, I can see the concern on your faces, except for Bojo. Things are better, much better. And number two, I'll tell you why, because I ain't lost my trust in him. I trust my father. I have no doubt that he's toughening me up for the next season. I know that's what he's doing. And you know what? I told my father this, and I'll tell y'all this, because I told Satan this, bring it on. Because I'm going to be a lot tougher in this next season. You ain't going to have a chance. Guys, God's going to put you through seasons. You're going to struggle. You're going to hurt. Some of them suck, man. Some of them are terrible. So I want you to catch this third point. I truly believe that God was putting me through this season because I ain't appreciated the seasons before. Guys, if you're sitting in a season right now of joy and love and peace and harmony, don't let it go. Enjoy it. Those hard seasons, they're tough. I have no doubt I didn't appreciate the seasons before the way that I needed to. And now I'm telling him, like, God, I got the point. You can, you know, you can stop. You know, we can let's get back to a happy, joyful season. And I feel like that's why things are getting better. Hang on to those good seasons, guys. And then trust him in the hard ones. Amen. One of my favorite Bible verses, when when I'm struggling in a season, guys, and I'm about to give up, this is the verse I go to, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. If you're a child of God, 
You've been called according to his purpose. All things. Y'all see that? Not just one season, not just two seasons, all seasons. Doesn't matter what you're going through in life, guys. All things. God works for the good of us. It might hurt, but it's growing you. You know, so I go to the gym, right? Your muscles ain't going to get bigger if you ain't pushing them hard enough. You know what I'm saying? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. But you're going to get stronger. All things. All things. Even the tough stuff. All things. Y'all need to walk boldly in that verse, guys. Walk boldly in that. Grab a pen and paper. Get y'all write this down. Go ahead, Nick. It is harder to conceal ignorance than to acquire knowledge. Is that right? Amen. In other words, it's harder to be stupid than smart. My Cass County education figured that out real quick. 